Hi there, and welcome to another episode of a Light Unto My Path podcast. I'm your host, Howard Sides. Uh, today we're going to continue our study in Revelation chapter 13. Uh, we're in the second half of the chapter. Uh, we talked about it before. The first half talks about uh, the false prince, and then the second half is about the false prophet. <clears throat> and there are three points to um, notice about the false prophet. Um, the first being his deceiving appearance, and the second his dynamic appeal, and then the third his deadly approach. Uh, last episode we talked about the first two points, his deceiving appearance and his dynamic appeal. And today we're going to pick up uh, verses 13 through 18, the end of the chapter, uh, with his deadly approach. His deadly approach. And <clears throat> there's uh, two points to bring out on how uh, this approach happens. And the first one is it blinds mankind. And the second is that it binds mankind. So the first is that it blinds and then it binds. And so we're going to uh, talk about that a little bit today. So uh, let's read our uh, portion of scripture here that we're going to be covering. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 13 down through the end of uh, the chapter here. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwelleth on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause <clears throat> excuse me, that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth, causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is the wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is 603 score and six all right so um let's look here in verse 13 and uh talk about this point is deadly approach and the first part of that is that it blinds mankind blinds mankind and that's verses 13 down through 15 and the way he blinds mankind is by two ways. Uh, first, there's the signs from heaven, verse 13, and then there's the signs from hell, verses 14 through 15. So the first one, verse 13, the signs from heaven. Uh, that first phrase there, it says, and he doeth great wonders. The words doeth and wonders with an S indicate that there are repeated or at least multiple actions uh, that he performs. Uh, that he does a wonder would tell us, you know, it's one great one and done trick or deceit. But I'm telling you, Satan knows what he's doing. And this prophet uses several different uh, events or actions uh, that are going to convince these people. I, I, it's sad, but I, it's going to convince them. People believe what they see. 
or, or what people tell them too. Uh, the, the media is a good example of that today. Uh, people just believe whatever they're told. Just follow right on. Now the use of the adjective great uh, here tells us that these miracles are significant, they're prominent, they're important, and they're outstanding. These will not be so-called miracles as we see or hear about today uh, where somebody getting healed gets smacked in the forehead and all of a sudden, oh no, if it's something like that, they're going to get up and walk. If they were blind, they're going to get up and they're going to be able to see. And I'm telling you, uh, we just don't understand how far Satan can push this thing. Um, there's going to be people doing this. There's going to be prophets out there raising people up from uh, uh, crippled bodies and they're going to be walking. I think it's going to be everything short of raising somebody from the dead. We know he doesn't have the power to do that. Only say, uh, only, only our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, has those keys. So Satan's going to be doing everything short of that. And it, it, it's not going to take a lot of convincing. I've already explained before uh, just how gullible we are as human beings. Now, <clears throat> J. Hampton Keithley, in his commentary on this uh, portion here, he says, and I quote, uh, This should be a warning to all of us. Miraculous signs are not in themselves a proof that whatever is going on is from God. There are other issues that must be discerned with the word of God as the final index and authority, never just our experience, end quote. That's a great statement about warning us about what we see, what we believe. Don't believe everything you see. <laughs> it's just simple. That simple. Do your own research. And listen, this earth is programming us right now by the use of this media spreading these lies and, and telling falsities out there and accusing people of things they hadn't done. And the world is following them right along. I mean, how else do you explain it? They're just, they're believing whatever's put out there in front of them, and they're eating that garbage. They sure are. They're eating that garbage. Uh, next phrase. So that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Now, fire from heaven. I mean, let's face it. Uh, they're, 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 I'm sure there are scholars out there. I, don't, I, I haven't read it, and I don't even have to see it, know what's going on here. There's going to be scholars out there trying to explain this stuff away that's going to say, hey, they're out there preaching and this lightning comes down and they're just objects of opportunity. Hey, do you see what I did? I just called lightning down from it. Really? No. I'm telling you, this stuff is going to be so real and so specific. These people are going to eat it right up. But here, look, this, this fire from heaven. God often revealed himself in this way in the Old Testament. Uh, here's a couple examples. He sent fire from heaven to destroy the Sodomites and their neighbors, Genesis 19 and verse 24. And listen, if you're not associated with what that means, or, or if you need a reference point, um, the Sodomites are what uh, the homosexuals were <laughs> called at one time. That's what was going on was sodomy. And you think, well, God's turned a blind eye to it and it's okay. Hey, listen, we're in the age of grace. You better uh, thank God we're not in the age of, of law uh, because I'm telling you, America, 
right now it'd be a gaping hole just like uh all those over there and uh what was those places <laughs> just totally mi I just totally missed it Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbor it was like five other cities around them so they influenced them other cities and they paid the price for what Sodom and Gomorrah did uh second he sent fire uh to kill Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu when they offered up strange fire before him. Leviticus chapter 10 verses 1 through 2. Now look. Here's the preacher's kids. Alright. <laughs> Think about this a minute. Here's the preacher's kids. They want to do something good for God. Nothing wrong with that. They go and make a sacrifice on their own. And take it in there and offer it up. And say you know. Lord, we just want to say thank you, and oh, this is so awesome, we're doing, and God says, whap, and, and kills them right on the spot. You're thinking, oh my goodness, how heartless can that be? God wouldn't do that. God just, he did do it, and I'll tell you why he did it. Because when he set up the tabernacle, and he gave Moses the instructions, he specifically told them what to put in the incense for each sacrifice, altar, whatever it was it was, and not to deviate from that list. If they deviated from that list, they would die. And he even calls it strange fire. So whose fault is this? It's the preacher's kids. You know why? Because they didn't even believe what they were reading. Think about that a minute. They didn't believe it. Uh, just because they're called preacher's kids don't mean they're right. They have to be saved like the rest of us. And that's saying something because I am a preacher's kid. I, I was a preacher's kid. I'm a preacher now. So I guess it doesn't default me from being a preacher's kid. Still am. Um, he also sent fire from heaven at Mount Carmel in answer to Elijah's prayer at the showdown with Baal's priest and burned up the sacrifice, burned up the wood, burned up the dust, burned up the water in the trench. Oh, yeah, and even burned up the stones around it. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a scene that must have been. I mean, it nuclearized everything. Boom. I mean, it's all gone. I don't know how long it took to burn it up. It had to be long enough that people would see the fire, okay? But it had to be quick enough that they couldn't just dwell on it. It had to be, boom, I mean, it, and it's just gone. So, I, I don't really know. Now, note this is the same miracle as what the two witnesses did. Remember, they called fire down from heaven. So, this deceit is nothing new. Um, and... The specific wonder here of calling fire from heaven uh, has deliberate meaning to it. Now, first of all, as the great imposter, he will perform an action associated with something only God does. Okay, this fire from heaven. Uh, now, remember, the two witnesses and Elijah, they could pray for it, but God has to be the one to send it. All right. So here, this false prophet's wanting to do what God does. Now, second, some scholars think this false prophet is trying to imitate Elijah as bringing fire down from heaven. And now the connection to that is this. Uh, in Malachi, 
verses four, uh, chapter four, verses five through six, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And of course, it says curse there. Um, he'll be manipulating that to mean fire. And they'll eat it up. Matthew 17, verses 10 through 13. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias, meaning Elijah, must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Now here, in verse 11, Jesus speaks of future events, restore all things, referencing Malachi's statement that Elijah will turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. In verse 12, he speaks of past events, indicating that John the Baptist represented the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now here we see evidence that the Jews were looking actively for Elijah to come. <laughs> of course they would, right? Um, <clears throat> even today in the Passover feast, Jews are still actively looking for Elijah. And you think, well, how do you know that? Because when they hold the feast, A, they set a place for him at their own table, a place for Elijah. B, they leave the door open as an invitation for him to enter. And C, they send someone up and down the street to look for him. Not the prophet. Not the Messiah. They're looking for Elijah. Because they know once Elijah comes, then the Messiah's come. And, and so when Jesus was here and all that was going on, uh, that's why they didn't accept him. They, they didn't think that, A, uh, the, they know that the Messiah is going to, well, I, I can't get into all of it, but basically that they didn't think Jesus was the Messiah because they're looking for someone uh, to get rid of the enemies and to conquer everyone and to set their kingdom up. They're looking to the, straight to the millennial kingdom. They didn't know there's all, they, they don't understand that all this other stuff had to happen first. They had the timeline uh, messed up. Okay? Now, uh, so here's the connection. Now let's look at the clarity. So there, there uh, are two sides to this thought about, about this bringing fire from heaven. Now, first, the false prophet tries to trick people into believing that he is actually Elijah, whom they are looking for. Uh, the use of fire from heaven... Uh, would be a signature example used by the false prophet to prove he is actually Elijah, as this was an action associated with Elijah specifically. Now, second, this fire from heaven has nothing to do with Elijah at all. There may be another thought to that. According to what Malachi and Jesus said, Elijah will come before Christ returns, suggesting that Elijah would probably be one of the two witnesses in Revelation 11. Now, as the events in chapter 13 come after the arrival of the two witnesses, then it would be pointless for the false prophet to try and say he is Elijah. So, it could be that all that stuff with Elijah has already passed, and here the false prophet is just trying to do something that God himself would do and no one else. Now, J. Vernon McGee says the false prophet plays with fire until he's cast into the lake of fire in Revelation 19.20. <laughs> so, uh, that's a good point there. Uh, you play with fire, you're going to get burned. Uh, that's something we learned as kids, right? 
um, in the sight of men. In the sight of men. Now, this is something that um, kind of tells us um, what's going on today. And it, and it reminds me of, of the saying, seeing is believing. Um, and, and it's not so much that people are, um, they're seeing truth and believing it as far as uh, what the media is telling them, they're, they're just readily believing it and, and jumping right on it. it, it it's crazy. I, I just can't even wrap my mind around to explain it as to all this stuff that's going on. It, it's just crazy to me um, that that no one needs proof anymore. All they need is a statement, and, and that's considered truth no matter what you have, what evidence you have. If it contradicts what I say, then you're a liar and you're a racist, and that's the end of it. I mean, that, that's that's where we're at today. That there is no true truth anymore. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, the motto of magic is uh, the hand is quicker than the eye, suggesting that what we think we see can be easily manipulated. Oh, we've seen <laughs> examples of that over and over again. So mankind will witness these great wonders and assume that they must be of God. Why would they think differently, right? The only one to ever call fire down from heaven, uh, or the only one to send fire from heaven, basically, was God. Um, and there's only been a few people that's been able to call it down. Uh, just a very few. Okay, so here are the signs from heaven. Uh, now let's look at this other thought, the signs from hell. Verses 14 through 15. Signs from hell. Uh, verse 14, it starts off, And deceiveth them that dwell in the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do. Now that word deceiveth uh, is the Greek word planeo. Planeo. P-L-A-N-A-O. Planeo. It means to cause to roam from safety or truth or virtue. To go astray, deceive, to err, seduce, wonder, to be out of the way. <clears throat> now, this word planeo is used consistently in the Bible to describe the work of false prophets who lead people astray. I give you 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. <clears throat> Excuse me again. Now, as I'm a history buff, I'm going to throw you out some stuff from history here a little bit that shows you just how this is not going to be the first time this has happened. History, uh, there's this phrase, history repeats itself. And it will. And it will do it over and over and over again until the lesson's learned. It, it's like nature is teaching us what God's trying to teach us. Um... And we're just oblivious to it. 
we're just oblivious to it. So I'll take you back to World War II and a fellow named Hitler. <clears throat> and uh, a guy by the name of Dave Hunt, he, write, he writes this book called Global Peace and the Rise of Antichrist. And in it, he talks about how Hitler proved that the false prophet could easily deceive the world. And he uses several examples. One, uh, there's film footage of the public appearances of Hitler and all their pageantry. Solemn marchers carrying huge banners displaying the swastika and fanatically repeating Sig Heil from hundreds of thousands of throats reveal an unmistakable but mysterious religious element. Is it demonic? <laughs> Without a doubt. Hitler evoked a spontaneous mass hysteria that bordered on worship. William Shirer, author of The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, who went to Germany in 1934 to report on what was taking place, wrote in his diary at the time, and I quote, Today, as far as the vast majority of his fellow countrymen are concerned, he, being Hitler, has reached a pinnacle never before achieved by a German ruler. He has become, even before his death, a myth, a legend, almost a god. Unquote. William Shire, in his Berlin diary, is quoted by Gerard Schuster in Hitler, the Occult Messiah, uh, printed in New York, St. Martin, 1981, page 140-141, if you want to read that. Uh, number two, there was a twisted genius in Hitler that accomplished some great things. Now, between 1933 and 1937, while the rest of the world was still wallowing deep in the Depression, Germany's unemployment dropped from 6 million to less than 1 million. National output doubled. The Volkswagen went into production, and the world's first highway system, Germany's famous Autobahn, was begun. So much good camouflaged the evil. Simone Veil, who spent time in Auschwitz, where most of her family died, confessed, and I quote, We had great difficulty believing that people were actually being killed. Nobody imagined that there could be a plan for extermination. End quote. Time Magazine, August 28, 1989, page 43. And, and commenting on this right here, this Autobahn, everybody thought was being built for, of course, the Volkswagen. Come on, Really? <laughs> speed oh no, Hitler's massive plan was to build these super highways to give his tanks quick access to major points across the country. That's what the Autobahn was built for. And Volkswagen was a system, uh, was, a, was a very easy engine to mass produce and put in all this military hardware. Uh, and where'd they get the money from? You ready for this? <laughs> All you lovers of the Ford, the money come from Henry Ford. Henry Ford. Yeah. Hitler, on his desk, had a picture of Henry Ford, who was a devout anti-Semitic. He hated Jews with a passion. So, any plan to rid the world of Jews, Henry Ford was on tap. Yeah. Read that history. That may be something you didn't know. Uh, number three point. The most fascinating aspect of Hitler's deception was the heavy Christian element that was involved. An element that will be absolutely essential under the Antichrist. Most of the church in Germany, most of the churches in Germany, went happily along with the new order. 
Uh, Hitler, Hitler promised liberty for all religious denominations, <laughs> much like the promises now being made in Eastern Europe. In his March 23, 1933 speech, when he took over as dictator, Hitler praised the Christian faith and promised to respect liberty of conscience. A few excerpts from his wartime speeches reveal an incredible pretense of being on God's side. 1940, he said, and I quote, We pray our Lord that he will continue to bless us in our battle for freedom. 1941, and I quote, We believe we shall earn the blessing of the supreme leader. The Lord God has given his approval to our battle. He will be with us in the future, end quote. 1942, quote, and we will pray the Lord God that, for that, the salvation of the nation, end quote. And then in 1943, I quote, we will continue to give our whole strength to our nation this year. Only then can we pray to our Lord God that he will help us as he always has, end quote. Now, these are taken from a German condensation of Hitler's key speeches that has not been translated into English yet. So, the phrases there may take on a more serious meaning when they're translated, but as it is, I think the point gets across. Now, thousands of German pastors joined the newly organized German Christians faith movement, which supported the Nazi doctrines and promoted a Reich church that would unite all Protestants under the state. <clears throat> all Protestant religions under the, under the state. Now, this Reich Church, formed under leaders picked by Hitler, was formally recognized by the Reichstag on July 14, 1933. On November 13th, the same year, a massive rally was held in the Berlin Sport Palace by the German Christians' faith movement. Leaders of the rally proposed abandonment of the Old Testament and revision of the New Testament to fit national socialism. Resolutions called for one people, one Reich, one faith, an oath of allegiance to Hitler to be signed by all pastors, and the exclusion of Jewish Christians by all churches. The Gestapo's reign of terror against followers of Christ began with the arrest of 700 pastors in the fall of 1935. All the time that he was deliberately moving to destroy Christianity and replace it with his neo-pagan occultism, Hitler continued to pretend that he was the champion of real Christianity. The following excerpt from a speech by Hans Kerl, Nazi minister of church affairs, reveals how blatant the lie can become while still being eagerly embraced by Christians. And I quote, the party stands for positive Christianity, and positive Christianity is national socialism. National socialism is the doing of God's will. God's will reveals itself in German blood. That Christianity consists in faith in Christ as Son of God makes me laugh. True Christianity is represented by the party, and the German people are now called by the party and especially by the Fuhrer, to a real Christianity. The Fuhrer is the herald of a new revelation. End quote. And that is uh, written by Dave Hunt, a study guide for the cult explosion, uh, Eugene, Oregon, 
Harvest House, 1981, page 121, if you want to look that up. Uh, worldwide religion is currently being trained to accept this false prophet's words as gospel. The subjects of positive thinking, possibility thinking, and positive confession are the headlines and mottos of the most influential radio, television preachers, and even church leaders in America. Any correction or objection is rejected as negative thinking, abrasive, or counterproductive. In a religious society hungry for new revelations, the charismatic movement eagerly introduces new prophets and prophecies that are being blindly followed, even though the prophecies often, if not always, contradict the Bible. Uh, for example, uh, faith, the second coming of Christ, the rapture, the Holy Spirit, and the next spiritual awakening. We're going to talk about all of them and break them down a little bit and show you just how they're watering down uh, the elements of, of doctrinal faith. All right, first, let's talk about faith. Uh, faith no longer requires God as its object, but is touted as a positive power of the mind that creates what we firmly and sincerely believe. Thus, what we pray for will come to pass, not if God wills it, but if we can only believe it will happen. And listen, this is being indoctrinated into our very young children. And you ask, well, how is that happening? I give you the song Believe by Josh Groban, and it's on the Polar Express. Have you ever really looked at the words of that song? I'm not going to sing it. But I want you to focus on the words, as I'm saying them, and, and pull out what's being said in this song. Now, I'm not putting blame on Jock Rowan. He probably sang this song, probably hadn't even read the words himself either. That's just the way it is. That's how oblivious we are to what's being fed into our children. <clears throat> All right. The verses go like this. Children sleeping. Snow is softly falling. Dreams are calling like bells in the distance. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It's just so eager. We were dreamers not so long ago, but one by one we all had to grow up when it seems the magic slipped away. We find it all again on Christmas Day. Believe in what your heart is saying. Hear the melody that's playing. There's no time to waste. There's so much to celebrate. Believe in what you feel inside and give your dreams the wings to fly. You have everything you need if you just believe. Next verse. Trains move quickly to their journey's end. Destinations are where we begin again. Ships go sailing far across the sea, trusting starlight to get where they need to be. When it seems that we have lost our way, we find ourselves again on Christmas Day. And you think, well, that's not all that bad. I mean, really. <clears throat> and I've told you before, it's about deceit. It's not about blatant objection to what we believe. It's planting little seeds. It's moving a little. Listen, it, I've used this before in Sunday school's class. Um, it's like these two train tracks following each other. They're on opposite tracks, but they're going the same direction. Well, from that point, you look at it and you're like, well, it doesn't matter what train you're on. They're going the same direction. 
Although you know the one on the right is a direct line. The one on the left is an indirect line. Eventually you'll get there, you think. But as the train tracks go down for mile and mile and mile, eventually they separate a little bit. And then they separate a little more. And then they separate a little more. And you look over there and you're, you're, you're like, well, okay, we're a little further apart, but we're still going in the general direction. But then they separate a little more and separate a little more. And now the train on the left is turning slightly, going in a different direction. And maybe you notice, maybe you don't, but when you look over there, you're like, well, okay, we're not generally going exactly, and we're not specifically going in the same direction, but generally I'm heading, you know, close. And then it turns a little more, turns a little more, turns a little more, and you're looking, you're like, well, okay, we're in the same region. Yeah, technically we're not going in the same place, but I can still see it. So, you know, I mean, we're close enough that, you know, if, if things change, I can just hop on another train and go back in the same direction, um, you know, go, go to the same place. So you go on and on and on, and the trains get further and further and further apart, further and further and further apart. Next thing you know, you're not even looking for the other train because you're caught up in where you're going today and not even caring where your original destination was. And that's what it is. It's these slight changes, slight hints. So I think that phrase, believe in what your heart is saying. That, generally, that, that sounds pretty good. But your physical heart is flesh. And it's telling you to believe what your fleshy heart's telling you. Believe in what you feel inside. Well, I don't care what you say. I have the right to believe what, what, what I have on my own. <clears throat> so there's that. Uh, all right, another example. Norman Vincent Peale. America's minister and author of the power of positive thinking says in his book positive Im Im uh, can't spit it out positive imaging and I quote your unconscious mind has a power that turns wishes into realities when the wishes are strong enough and that's on page 77 in his book <laughs> think about it your unconscious mind has a power that turns wishes into realities when the wishes are strong enough. If you think about it and desire it long enough, it, it will come about. Um, the catch to that is uh, Donald Trump used to attend his church while growing up as a younger kid. Now, uh, Vincent Peale's protege. Uh, somebody you may know, he's, uh, I think he's still around today, Robert Schuller, one of the most popular promoters of this occultic delusion that faith is a force wielded by our minds, explains this seductive gospel enthusiastically, and I quote, what is the magic ingredient that can ensure success and eliminate failure from our lives? It is faith. Possibility thinking is just another word for faith. Possibility thinking? Really? If I think I can do it, I can do it. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. I'm just going to leave it alone. Um, and that is in, uh, let's see, end quote. <laughs> That's in the book, Faith, the Force that Sets You Free, Possibility, from the magazine Possibilities in September, October issue, 1988, page 22. Schuler goes on to say in another book, and I quote, You don't know the power you have within you. You make the world into anything you choose. Yes, you can make your world into whatever you want it to be. End quote. And that's from Possibility Thinking uh, Goals. And that's from the Amway Corporation tape. <laughs> yeah, 
they use this quote to teach those Amway people how to sell their product. <clears throat> All right, enticed, uh, mm, enticed by such false teaching, Christians begin to view prayer as a religious technique for getting their own way. They set their sights upon what they want, then try to have faith to make it happen. Seminars in How to Write Your Own Ticket with God, which is the title of a booklet authored by Kenneth Hagin, by thinking certain thoughts, speaking certain words, or visualizing goals, are eagerly attended by thousands. This widely presented false Christ no longer calls sinners to repentance before a holy God, but excuses ungodly behavior as a psychological problem resulting from traumas suffered in childhood. Instead of requiring his disciples to let him deny himself and take up his cross, as the Bible teaches, he teaches them to love and accept themselves and to recognize their inherent self-worth. Nor does this false Christ promote the meek uh, that will inherit the earth, but offers self-assertion training. Instead of blessing those that mourn, he warns against low self-esteem and promotes a new positive self-image. And rather than promising heaven to the poor in spirit, this false Christ offers to the financially poor the enticing gospel of a hundredfold return for gifts to certain ministries. And when you talk about these gifts to certain ministries, um, in 2014, I looked this list up, and I'm sure it's grown considerably, but listen, in 2014, the top eight richest pastors in the U.S., um, well, I got them in reverse order, so let's see if I can keep the number right. Number eight was Joyce Meyer. In 2014, she was worth $8 million dollars. Um, in sixth and seventh, uh, they're tied, but let me do them separate anyway. Um, let's say seventh is Rick Warren. Rick Warren's worth 25 million. Uh, third place, Billy Graham, 25 million. And listen, between 1947 and 2005, uh, he had about 3.2 million people saved, which, I mean, that's that's impressive. I mean, he was, I remember seeing him when I was a kid uh, preaching on TV. Um, I believe he's one that, that lost his way. I, I think he really had the truth and, and just kind of got caught up in some stuff that wasn't true. He just got deceived. And it can happen to anybody. That's proof right there. Uh, eight, seven, six, number five. Creflo Dollar. If there was ever a name that if you were a preacher I would not want, it would be Creflo Dollar. I mean, that just tells you right there you're in it for nothing but the money. Creflo Dollar. 2014, he's worth $27 million. Um, 87654. Uh, yeah, having to do this backwards is kind of hard. Number four is Joel Olstein out of Houston, Texas. I have seen with my own eye this man's so-called church. This thing is not a church. It's a multi-community building over several blocks in one of the biggest cities in the United States. Goes on and on and on. Number four, Joel Olstein is worth $40 million. That's 2014 numbers now. Remember that. Number three, Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn's worth $42 million. 
All right, now we're going to take a little significant jump because we're getting near the top. Number two, Pat Robertson. Pat Robertson's worth $100 million. 2014. I'm sure that's significantly going up. $100 million. 2014. Number one is Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland is worth $760 million in the year 2014. Now I ask you, if he's worth this much, how much is this is he putting into all of those poor and needy people that he's been preaching to? Now, again, let me be the first to tell you, I'm not about taking care. I mean, I am about taking care of your pastor. I'm not saying a pastor can't have nice things. But at some point, it's it's excess. <clears throat> I mean, the world we live in, $8 million. If you can't make it on $8 million, something's wrong. Uh, you know, just leave that like it is. Okay, that's faith. Now, here's another one, the second coming of Christ. Uh, the visible and personal return of Jesus Christ is increasingly rejected in favor of a spiritual second coming. In other words, uh, you are not going to physically see him. He's just going to come as in his spirit. That, that's the, You see, it's just a slight change, but it's just enough to get you to doubt the truth. M. Scott Peck, a self-professing Christian New Ager, says, and I quote, When I think of the enormity of the changes required for global peace, it sometimes seems that a virtual second coming is required. I'm not talking about a bodily second coming. In fact, I am profoundly pessimistic about a church that would sit around passively waiting for its Messiah to appear in the flesh. Rather, I'm talking about the resurrection of Christ's spirit, which would occur in the church if Christians took him seriously. End quote. That's out of the New Age Journal, uh, May and June edition, 1987, page 51. Now here we see one of the most persuasive New Age lies perpetrated by Satan himself. The idea that the second coming is not the return of our Lord. Personally, in his resurrected individual body to earth, but the attainment by his spiritual body, the church, to a higher spiritual state, evidenced by great signs and wonders. Evangelical Christian and international speaker John White said, and I quote, So as we accept Christ in our hearts, not just a simple emotional conversion that the electronic evangelists call for, but a radical transformation of consciousness. We experience the coming of Christ now. There is no second coming of Christ. That is a false concept. There is only, as the Bible puts it, the coming of Christ through you and me as we ascend in consciousness. The final appearance of the Christ will not be a man in the air whom all must kneel, but an evolutionary event. A new race, a new species will inhabit the earth. People who collectively have the stature in consciousness that Jesus had. And in that process, the kingdom of God will truly be established on earth under the rule of the Christ in the hearts and minds and souls of all people. End quote. That's from the New Age and the Second Coming of Christ. Out of the body, 
Body, Mind, and Spirit magazine, November-December issue, 1988, pages 48 through 53. Now, in one statement, this guy claims to be a Christian. He mocks, even mocks all TV and radio evangelists and promotes an anti-rapture view, denies Jesus Christ's second coming in person, claims to correct a false interpretation of the Bible, denies the kingly authority of Jesus Christ, and advertises for the theory of evolution and also suggests the presence of alien life forms. All in one statement, if you break it down and read it slowly. This statement fits perfectly with the Antichrist's probable claim that he is the reincarnation of Christ's spirit that was in Jesus, a higher state of consciousness into which he promises to lead the world. So that's how they're going to attack the second coming of Christ. What about the rapture? <clears throat> the Roman Catholic Church, by its dogmas, denies the rapture. The best that most Catholics hope for after death is to awaken in purgatory, a place where they must suffer for their sins for an indeterminate length of time, depending upon how many indulgences they have earned and how many rosaries and masses and alms and good deeds others perform for them after their death. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 17 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive, and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The Roman Catholic Church calls 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 through 17, a lie. It has to be ignored or misinterpreted. And Catholics are taught that they that some may have to spend several thousand years in purgatory, while others, only a few days or weeks, depending on how much money is given to the church to pray you out. Catholicism gives no clear guidelines to say how long anyone will be in there. So, all Christians could not be resurrected at once or taken to heaven simultaneously, as the Bible clearly teaches. Pope John Paul II said he received a revelation from Our Lady of Fatima, which is the Catholic title for Mary, that a great disaster was coming that would transform human thinking and catapult him into a position where he would play a key role in bringing order out of chaos. This would explain the disappearance of millions in the rapture. Malachi Martin, a former Jesuit and professor at the Vatican's Pontifical Biblical Institute, said, and I quote, John Paul's waiting. God must first intervene before John Paul's major ministry to all men can start. He's waiting for an event that will fission human history, splitting the immediate past from the oncoming future. He's also waiting and watching time will then be, John Paul's waiting and watching time will then be over. His ministry as the servant of the grand design, taken out of quote, the great dragon is what it sounds more like to me, back in the quote, will then begin when the fissioning event occurs, end quote. This is from the book, The Keys of This Blood, on pages 639 through 656. All these quotes are taken out of there. Now, fissioning, just so you know, fissioning is the Catholic term used in place of the rapture. Fission, by definition, is the action of dividing or splitting something into two or more parts. 
Basically, they're saying there will come a great division, and then they will put it all together again. Um, it sounds something like the uh, transporter on a Star Trek thing ship, you know? Like the USS Enterprise had that transporter. <clears throat> yeah. Again, the disappearance of multiplied millions will create the opportunity which both the Antichrist and the Pope await. Neither will realize that Christ has taken his bride home to heaven, but they will know that their time has come. Mm. Now, we all know, and this is 2021, uh, John Paul's gone. There's been another priest in his place, a, a pope in his place. Um, but listen, <laughs> oh, you got to say, well, he just didn't had the interpretation a little bit wrong. He thought he was to usher it in, but it's now the pope that's in place now. And it could just continue to go on and on and on. They can make excuse after excuse after excuse. All right, here's another one. How about the Holy Spirit? Uh, in August of 1966, professors from Duquesne University, which is a Catholic university, uh, by the way, there are over 197 registered as of 2014, but this Duquesne University in Pittsburgh attended the Congress of the Cursillo Curs Movement. Now, this movement started in Spain in 1944 and teaches lay people how to become effective Christian leaders. In January of 1967, two of the attending professors, Ralph Kiefer and Patrick Bourgeois, if I said that right, B-O-U-R-G-E-O-I-S, Bourgeois, I'm not sure how to say that, uh, while attending a prayer meeting, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, the following week, Kiefer laid hands on other professors of Duquesne University, and they too received the Spirit. In February, during an event at the chapel, several others received the Spirit and spoke in tongues. This included professors, students, and even local citizens. Kiefer sent word to another Catholic university, Notre Dame, where a similar event occurred. This was the beginning of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal Movement, which includes an estimated 10 million American Roman Catholics. This movement is significant in that this renewal has now been accepted and utilized by the Episcopalian, Anglican, Presbyterian, Lutheran, and other interdenominational churches. Tom Forrest, a priest who directs Rome's New Evangelization 2000 from the Vatican, used all the right evangelical terms when, he, when speaking before the joint Protestant-Catholic audience. He drew applause from Protestants when he called for Christian unity in world evangelization. But when he spoke to a Catholic-only workshop, he let it be known to repeated loud applause from fellow Catholics what he really believed. <laughs> He said, and I quote, <clears throat> Our job is to make people as richly and as fully Christian as we can make them by bringing them into the Catholic Church, our visible sacraments of salvation. I like saying those words, our visible sacrament of salvation. That's what the church is, and we have to be evangelizing into the church. No, you don't just invite someone to become a Christian. You invite them to become Catholics. Why would this be so important? There are seven sacraments, and the Catholic Church has all seven. We have the body of Christ. We drink the blood of Christ. 
Jesus is alive on our altars as offering. We become one with Christ in the Eucharist. As Catholics, we have Mary, the Queen of Paradise. As Catholics, now I love this one, we have Purgatory. Thank God, I'm one of those people that will never get to the beatific vision, which is what they call heaven, without it. It's the only way to go. Our job is to use this remaining decade evangelizing everyone we can into the Catholic Church and, to the, and into the third millennium of Catholic history, end quote. Now that's out of the book Roman Catholic Double Talk at Indianapolis, 1990, out of Foundation Magazine, pages 14 through 16, and the excerpt, excerpts are from a talk by Friar Tom Forrest at the Roman Catholic Saturday morning training session. All right, um, so here I think is, the, yeah, the final one we talk about, uh, the next spiritual awakening. Uh, that's contact with demonic spirit, yeah, contact with demonic spirits is accelerating. The occult, yoga, and other Eastern mysticism and New Age philosophies are on a rapid increase. The United Nations has a meditation room containing Babylonian occult symbolism where followers of all religions who visit by the hundreds of thousands each year may awaken the God within. The Pentagon even has its own meditation club, which seeks to prevent war by creating a psychic peace shield around the earth with positive thoughts. This club celebrates its 40th anniversary this year. Uh, wonder if their meeting was canceled on 9-11-2001. Makes you think, doesn't it? Now, their two mottos are, number one, we sit to take a stand, and number two, nirvana at ground zero. Now, this last motto was stated in 1997 on their 20th anniversary. Isn't that eerie? Nirvana at ground zero? <laughs> hmm. And if you think the United States is so crazy, hey, the Russians have a very similar program all to themselves, doing the exact same thing. <clears throat> okay, uh, time has run out, so I'm going to have to stop there and just continue uh, with the next podcast on our continuing thought in this same verse. Um, again, there's a lot of information in here. It's going to take a while to get through it, but we'll persevere. We'll get there. All right? So, uh, again, uh, thank you for listening. I can't say that enough. Thank you for listening. Not, not for the fact that you're listening to me. Uh, I could care less if you listen to me as much as you're just listening to um, the teaching of the Bible. And, I, and I'm, I promise you from the bottom of my heart, I try to teach you the truth. Um, the key to knowing if what you're being taught is the truth is that you have to take up your Bible yourself and study it yourself. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Study thyself. Study thyself. Study thyself. Remember that. Don't take anybody's word as gospel except God's. Okay? All right. Um, once again, uh, continue to pray for me. Pray for each other. Pray for our church. Um, pray for your church if you go to a different church. Um, and pray for our country. And, and when I say that, I, I realize um, there's people on here from multiple countries, by the way. Um, pray for your country and pray for ours too. I mean, we're in a bigger mess than we've ever been. And 
I know that affects other foreign countries too, but you can pray for your country and, that, and, that, and that's good. All right. So um, on this point, I thank you once again for listening. Uh, and I hope you have a, a blessed day and God bless you for listening. Okay. Thank you.